God's already been speaking, amen? Are we listening? Thank you, Jim, for your word this morning. Thank you, choir. Did the choir not bless us? Mark, did you light a fire under there too? My goodness, wow, this morning. Uh, Exodus chapter 25. We're going to continue our series on how God delivers. It's all about Him. Notice it's not the Israelites who delivered themselves out of Egypt, was it? Who did the work? God. Who do we sing this morning? Our hope, our strength, our shield is God. Not in us, not in anything. And we come to this point in the life of the Israelites and they went to... God gave them the instructions to build the tabernacle. A tent made by human hands. A place of worship and sacrifice that was not built for the Israelites to go hang out in. It was a place so that God's presence could be with His people. You see, more than any tent, more than any building, more than anything, we need God's presence. Did you hear me? More than any tent, more than any building, more than anything else in life, we need God's presence. Without Him, we are nothing. And God gives His instructions to His people whom He loves. He takes the first step. And let's read this together in Exodus chapter 25. We're just going to read. This is the beginning part of this, which really takes 10 or more chapters in Exodus. He says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamp, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for the setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all its furniture, so you shall make it. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we bow before you right now. And we recognize that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. And you are Lord over all of creation. And you are Lord over us. And you have spoken and you are speaking. And you are going to speak. And Lord, we pray that you would speak and that we would listen. And that we would hear your voice. And Lord, that we would not run from you or... or ignore the words that you say, but Lord, that we would, we would take them and that we would follow them and follow you. For your words are, 
for our good and for your glory. Speak, Lord. We, your people, are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have to confess, I wrote, uh, I wrote one sermon on this passage uh, already going into preparing for this morning, and then God got a hold of me uh, Monday and Tuesday, and I came back and rewrote the sermon. And uh, sometimes that happens, but I want to be sensitive to the Spirit and His leading. I could have said, God, I've already done all this work. I have, I have the perfect illustrations, the perfect points. I have it all done. And when he speaks, I want to listen. When he redirects, I want to be with him. So this morning, going into this, I thought the passage was about one thing. And then God had to redirect me and remind me it was about something else. I thought it was about how much the Israelites gave for the tabernacle. Which, I mean, there's a good sermon in there on that. Maybe one day I'll preach it to you. But what God got a hold of me was there in verse 8, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. All of it is for nothing without God's presence. All of the offering, all the things they presented, all the things they made, if, you know, if if you're not in our small group in a gospel project class, you're missing half of this because, man, it goes into, God was very detailed on every part of the tabernacle. But all of that was for nothing without God's presence. The whole purpose for giving the tabernacle, the whole purpose for building it, the whole purpose for the offering, the whole purpose for the people was so that God's presence and God's glory could dwell with His people. Number one this morning that we learned from this passage. We cannot expect we cannot expect the Lord to dwell in our tabernacle without obedience. We cannot expect the Lord to dwell in our tabernacle without obedience. God came down to the Israelites and He spoke. I mean, all throughout the Old Testament, you cannot get this. All throughout Scripture tells us God is speaking. And God is speaking. Jim reminded us this morning. God's speaking right now. He's speaking. He speaks to us every day. He wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to you through His Word. He wants to speak to you through the study of His Word and through your time with Him in prayer and, and, and spending time with Him, your devotional life. He's real and He wants a real personal relationship with you, not just checking a box or coming and sitting in a pew and hearing something and then going about your life. He wants to really... He wants to really be with you. And He spoke to Moses to tell the people, He said, speak to the people of Israel, that they take for me a contribution. God called the people to follow Him. He, he gave the Ten Commandments, not, not the Ten Suggestions. God is calling for us 
to obey Him. To turn from our sin, to turn from our selfishness, to cast down our idols, and to follow Him. The Israelites were called to follow Jesus here. We're called to follow God. They were called to give. They were commanded to give by the God of all creation. For verse 8 to happen, for the indwelling presence of God to come down, they had to obey Him. They had to. They had to follow Him in obedience. The Lord commanded the Israelites to give the offering. He commanded them. He told them exactly how to construct it. Uh, In the next two weeks, we're going to look at the sacrificial system that he, He puts in place so that we could approach Him and there could be uh, atonement made, uh, sacrifice, uh, forgiveness for our sins through the shedding of blood. What might have happened had the Israelites disregarded God's Word and God's command? What might have happened? They might have gotten together and they might have built a very beautiful tent. They might have built the greatest sanctuary ever constructed by men. But it would not have had the indwelling presence of God. It would have had the outward form of righteousness and holiness and splendor, but it would be a tomb. Because inside it would be dead. In our day, you can walk through the majestic cathedrals of Europe. Some of you have seen them. Some of you have been there. These massive places of worship built in the Middle Ages when most people were living with thatched roofs and dirt floors, and yet these magnificent cathedrals built for the people of God to come and worship them. And Maybe at some point there actually was worship in the great cathedrals. But now they're a shell. Tourist traps. Museums. Here in the United States, you can walk into church after church. They have signs out front. They tell you what time they start. They have worship services and they have nice paved parking lots. They have heat. They have electricity. But they have no power. They're dead. They have budgets. There's churches in the United States right now that, Jim, have no problem meeting their budget, but spiritually they're dead. No problem. They've got, they can write the check. They don't have to worry about having heat on. They can write the check. They can go buy heat and pipe it in. Buy someone else's heat. Store-bought heat. You know, organic heat. 
Yeah. And yet dead. Why? Because there's no presence of God. There's a disregard for His Word and following His Word. The Lord commands the people to give. He tells them to give. When the God of all creation commands us to do something, is that optional? Is that something we take on advisement? Is that something, well, when I get around to it? What does it mean? If He's the Lord, if He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Creator of heaven and earth, what He says we do, we obey. We cannot expect the Lord to dwell in our tabernacle without obedience. We see this. This is a beautiful picture. God is, you know, He speaks to His people and He has to tell us the same thing like over and over again. And here to His people, He tells them to build the tabernacle so His presence can come down. He gives them the Ten Commandments. He gives them His Law, His Covenant. He establishes the sacrificial system for thousands of years. The Israelites do this until He sends His own Son, God in the flesh, to tabernacle among us. John 1 uses the language of tabernacle, the same word in the Old Testament here. In the flesh, God's glory dwelt in Christ and was present with us. And He fulfilled the law and the prophets, not only God's presence dwelling with His people, but He lays down and becomes the sacrifice. So He draws near to us and lays His life down so that we can draw near to Him and we can receive that forgiveness and follow Him. And then when we get to 1 Corinthians... What's the tabernacle in 1 Corinthians? What does Paul tell us? After Christ dies, is buried, and rose again, what becomes the tabernacle? He says, don't you know your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? In the Old Testament, they they weren't ready for that. They weren't ready because Christ had to die. I mean... Only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies once a year, and he was the closest who who could get there. Our God is a holy God. He's a righteous God. And we're fallen and sinful, and in our sinful flesh, when we stand before a holy and righteous God, guess what happens? God hates sin. God always eradicates sin. And we're so full of sin, if we came on our own, we would be eradicated. We'd be consumed. But God loves us so much. He wants wants to be near to us. And so He makes the way. And that first step, as He's drawn, drawn near to us, our first step is repentance. It's bowing the knee of our heart and turning from our sin. That's repentance. And then turning to Him, that's obedience. That's saying, God, I'm not just going to follow my own way or make up my own rules or just follow my heart. I'm going to follow you and your word and your will and your way, no matter how I feel about it. And if God's working in your life, He actually comes in and takes over. He actually changes your wills and wants and desires too. 
Scripture tells us that the Spirit is working inside of us to conform us into the image of His Son. We're created in the image of God. Sin mars that. And the Spirit's work between now and when soon and very soon happens, which I'm praying it happens soon and very soon, the moment between now and then, the Spirit is constantly working to chisel away the character issues in our life and our weaknesses and our failures and strengthening us, encouraging us, forming us to the image, not of the world, but of His Son. But if you want to know, so now we're, t- we're, t- we're really talking about the tabernacle. We're not talking about a building. We're talking about our heart. We need God's indwelling presence in our heart. Otherwise, we just look like a Christian on the outside, but we're dead on the inside. And when we pass from this life to the next, there's nothing on the outside of you that's going to make it through the passage. We pass through the fire, there's nothing that's going to be left. Has Christ come in and taken over? Is He inside of you? what we, we call salvation. Not just the outside, it's not the outside in. So what does it say? God doesn't look on the outward appearance. What does He look at? He looks at the heart. Absolutely. We've got to be obedient. That means it's a, it's a, it's a decision of your will. You've got to make that decision. God has given the invitation. He's calling. He's calling you to follow Him. He wants to indwell you and change you and transform you and empower you. You've got to let Him in and say, okay, I'm ready for you to do this reconstruction work in my heart and my life. And I'm willing to give you the keys, God. You made me. You know me better. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Yet many times we don't want to be obedient. We get content. We get content with the world. I heard an illustration this week that just slapped me in the face, so you're going to get it too. (laughs) Anybody remember Vance Havner? There you go. A few people remember Vance. Vance Havner was a mountain preacher from the mountains of North Carolina, not pumping up North Carolina or anything, but some good guys came out of there. And um, he... um, in, uh, in the 60s, particularly 60s and 70s, he, he called it like he saw it. I mean, he wasn't afraid of anybody and uh, spoke the truth and uh, was an itinerant preacher. And he would go around and do revivals and things like that. And uh, he got called up to Chicago to do a series of revival meetings in Chicago. Chicago, up, up north, the Windy City, and uh, to take Jesus, you know, to, to Chicago. And uh, his host took him out for a nice steak dinner. He said, you know, Dr. Havner, you have not experienced a properly cooked steak until we take you to a Chicago steak until you get it in right here. You know, you, you, know you, you haven't had it. So they took him to a really nice restaurant. And they sit down, and Dr. Havner was, he was getting kind of older, and 
the waitress comes by and he says, um, Miss, would you mind turning up the lights? I can't read the menu. And she said, oh, don't worry. Your eyes will adjust to the dark. And I think about that. I think about it in my own life. I get content with sin in, in my life. My eyes adjust to the dark. Just kind of get used to it. It's the world. Oh, it's just one little profanity in the, this little TV show or whatever. Oh, they just curse God's name one time. Well, there, you know, there's actually the rating system. You can use the F word one time and still keep a PG-13 rating. Do you know that? It's called the F rule. Now you're all, I've caused you to think bad thoughts. You all need to confess. Lord, forgive me. We think, oh, well, there's, uh, this, this isn't too bad a scene to watch. Oh, I'm an adult. I can handle this. It's a little bit by little bit. Our eyes adjust to the dark. We get content to keep a little bit of sin in our life. Oh, it's one little drink at the end of the day. It's, I just need it to unwind, you know, to loosen up a little bit. It's not going to hurt me. We just get a little bit more content with living in the dark. Oh, a little juicy bit of gossip. Feels good. Just get a little bit content living in the dark. We cannot expect the Lord to dwell in our tabernacle without obedience. Now, Scripture's Scripture's clear. As we come to faith in Christ and we surrender to Him, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We're secure in our salvation. Sin doesn't break our relationship with God as a believer, but guess what it can do? It It can sever our fellowship with Him. It can break our fellowship with Him, and it can also... The Spirit, we, we talk about uh, the, the baptism of the Spirit happens once when you're saved. The Holy Spirit comes in and takes control of your life one time, not like these other things or other times. But we are called to be filled with the Spirit. When we allow sin to take over and take in, take control into our lives, the Spirit can't fill us. The Spirit can't empower us. He's there. We kind of shove him over to like a little corner when we have the whole house and we keep him in the closet. So you just stay in here. I'm going to have everything else in my life. And you just kind of stay in this closet. This is your room. And we turn the light off. We shut the door. We lock We kind of leave him in there. And then maybe on Sunday, we want to like pull him out. And then and we come and we wonder why God isn't speaking to us, that we're not tr- living transformed lives, that everything... You know, we, we live with bitterness and fear and all kinds of things. God wants to fill us and use us and change us. And what have we done? We've already decided, God, I really don't want you in my life. I mean, I want a little bit of you to be respectable. I don't want you to have control. I want control. We can't expect the Lord to dwell in our tabernacle without obedience. Number two, we cannot ex- 
expect the Lord to dwell in our tabernacle without love. Just can't do it. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution. He gives the command that we're to follow. He then says, from every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. He he commands us to give. It's a command. But he commands us to give from the heart. He could have stopped at number one, couldn't he? He's the God of all creation, the Lord of heaven and earth. He could stop with a command and that would be enough. Give out of duty. Obey out of duty. Obey out of respect for authority, whatever you want to call it. But how does he call us to obey? He doesn't call us to obey out of duty. He doesn't call us to obey out of sense of his authority. He calls us to obey out of love. Our love for him. For what he has done. He saved us. He created us. He saved us. And one day he's coming back for us. What else could... What else could we ask for? What else is there? And here the God of the universe who could be content to stay on His throne and have no contact with us whatsoever. Just stay on His throne and we're down here and we just kind of do our own thing. The God of the universe wants to come inside of you and me and take over. Do you get that? And yet we resist. We're like, no, God, we don't want you to come in and take over because, you know, we're good, clean, respectable people. And I like, I like driving my own car. I don't want you to take over. I don't want you to drive. And God says, okay. I'll wait. I'll wait until you're ready. God loves us so much. And yet we keep him out here. We disregard his word. We disregard his will. We love him when we need something from him. And when it becomes convenient for us. But we can't expect the Lord to dwell in our tabernacle without love. You see, the Israelites could have brought everything that the Lord commanded. The gold, the silver, the onyx, the... I mean, one, one translation, I love, I think the Holman Christian translate, because some of these words are hard to translate, the dolphin skins. I'm like, where'd they get the dolphins? That's pretty... <laughs> yeah. They could have brought all of that. And if they had brought all of that and done step one, the obedience, simply out of duty but not out of love, guess what, what it would have meant? Absolutely nothing. This was something the Israelites got caught in over and over and over. They always met their budget. They always had the biggest sacrifices. They did all the festivals every year. All the festivals. They liked eating. Mm. Sounds like Baptists. We like eating. We're counting down until we get that kitchen open, man. I tell you, we kind of whittled down. We should have done the weight loss challenge this year, Mark. We should have done it... Like 2015 was a weight loss challenge because we have not had fried chicken 
sanctified the Baptist bird in a year. I mean, it's, it's a wonder. It's going to be some holy chicken coming out of that thing. Okay? They could have done everything on the outside right, but if their hearts weren't in it, it would not have been received. God's glory would not have come down. It would not have filled the, tem- the tabernacle. And there's some parts of us that we can, we can think we're doing all the right things. We're checking off the right boxes. But yet our heart is not set on the Lord. But where is it set? On ourselves. My will, my way, instead of surrendering to Him. Saying, God, Your will, Your way, You write the check. Now, my dad has a lot of faith in me. I love my dad. He taught me everything I need to know in life. For my birthday this year, he's really good about like sending me, thinking he's like sending me these like really funny birthday cards and things. And I know it's for my dad because. His eyesight's going. He has one eye. He has one good eye. He's blind in one eye. He can see out of one eye, and that's kind of going. So his, his handwriting has gotten more like a doctor, no offense to the doctors in the room, but it's hard to read it, but I know it's from him. He sent me a birthday card this year in November, and it, on the inside it said... On the inside of it, it had a blank check. Blank check for my dad. And written on the other side, it said two suits, two shirts, two ties, two socks. I guess he meant two pairs of socks. (laughs) He gave that to me. Now notice, when I was 16, I did not get those kind of checks. Did not get them. And in fact, even when, even when I got it, I walked around with that thing in my wallet. For, I just spent it like this last week. I walked around with that thing in my wallet for months. I was scared to death to use it. I mean, I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to... I mean, that is a huge... You don't send a blank check to just anyone. Why? Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. And yet our Lord, our God, loves us so much. He wrote the blank check. The blank check that was his son. And he sent it to us. And we act as though we can do anything to earn that, or we act as though we're doing our part, or we're, we try to come up and we're, we try to make it on our own. He paid it. He wrote us the blank check, not because he had to, because he didn't. He wrote the blank check not because we deserve it, He wrote the blank check because He loves us. 
And what's the response? What's our response to his blank check? Is it one of, well, yes, God, you did this, but. Yes, God, that's great. You died on the cross for my sins, but I'm a good person. Just look at me. Look at what all I do. Look at what I, all I do for you, how much I give, how much I'm always here. I'm dependable. You can trust me. How do you think he takes that sometimes? Praise God he has more patience with us than we have. You see, the Israelites, God called the Israelites. He gave them the, the instructions for the tabernacle. The whole point of the tabernacle was not so that he could be the man or show that he's the man. The whole point of the tabernacle was so that he could dwell with his people. They needed to respond in obedience and in love. He wants the same thing with us. He wants to dwell in us. He wants to take over. He wants to transform us into His image, into His likeness. He wants to take us from just middling along in life to having power and purpose and uh, a stability that doesn't come, a security that doesn't come from how much you have in your retirement account or your bank account, how much property you have, how big your house is. All of that stuff is going to be gone. Our security comes in Christ. Which leads us to the third point. When we love and when we obey, when we make the decision to follow Him, and when we follow Him in love, a whole heart. What what does God say in Deuteronomy? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the law and the prophets. what Jesus said. It's the law and the prophets. We've looked at the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were all about loving God and loving others. When we love and when we obey, those two things, you you can't just have the love without obedience. If If you just say, I love God, but you don't obey Him, what kind of love is that? That's a, that's a mushy love that doesn't mean anything. If you obey Him, but you have not love, what have you done? You're a robot. He, God, doesn't, God doesn't want robots. He created you with a heart, soul, and a mind, and He wants all of you. When we love and obey, we can expect God to show up. We can expect Him to show up. The Lord showed up in two ways here. It's an amazing thing. He showed up in two ways. First, He showed up in the response of the people. They dealt with their sin. They had dealt with their sin from the the golden calf. The golden calf kind of happens in between the instructions coming down and then them actually like building. So they even kind of faltered a little bit, but then they turned back to the Lord. They dealt with their sin. And it says, then they gave... Uh, They gave from a willing heart. They answered from the Lord. The Lord called and then they gave. In Exodus 35, 21, he says, And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. If 
Getting right with the Lord is not just about doing more or working more. It starts here in your heart. Is He more? Is He enough? Does He have all of you? And then out of the overflow of that, then there is nothing that doesn't belong to Him. Then there is no place in your heart that doesn't belong to Him. There is no place in your life that you're like, okay, well, this is sin. I'm just going to keep this along. No, if you love God more than your sin, you're going to say, okay, if I've got to choose, I'm going with God. They gave, and then in Exodus 36, so awesome, this is, the, this is my dream. I will just tell you, Exodus 36 is my dream as a pastor one day to be able to, to look at you in the eyes and say, please stop, do not give any more offerings. We have received too much. Why are y'all laughing? Are you laughing because that'll never happen? I mean, I'm all, I mean, there's weeks I want to say, okay, guys, um, uh, uh, Donald and Richard and you guys, Don and all the guys, you guys take it in the back, count it. If it's not enough, y'all come back through and I'll get Mark and we'll do the little helicopter thing and we'll just keep going till we get it there. How about that? Y'all ready for that? I'm just saying, if God tells us to do it, we will. But they gave so much that Moses had to tell them to stop. That's unprecedented. Did that come from duty? Did that come from, came from their heart. They got their, they got their heart right with the Lord, and they got, then they, it translated into their will. They said, okay, God, I'm going to obey you. God worked on their heart. They started giving. Then one thing led to another. They started giving and giving and giving. Did God need all that stuff? Did God need their gold and silver and the yarn and all of that? God didn't need it. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Where did they get it from? Yeah. Who did it belong to to begin with? It belonged to God. They were simply giving back to God what was His out of the overflow of their heart and thankful recognition that it came from Him. They're giving it back to Him. And it showed them their trust that if he provided for them in the wilderness, had them cross the Red Sea, when they didn't have food, he provided manna. When they didn't have water, he made water come out of a rock. That if they gave to him, guess who was going to take care of them? God was. Why? Because God loved them. Can you imagine? Could you imagine being there in that moment and seeing the pile of gold? We talked about it in our gospel project this morning. We're talking tons of silver and gold that was brought. Did that, did that do anything for God? You know what some people would be tempted to, to do when they saw the big pile? Look what we did. We did that. Who's getting the glory? Yeah, that would be us. That would be us. If we take credit, we're getting the glory. Who gets the glory when we give out of a love and obedience to the Lord? He gets the glory. Whose faith is increased? The people. Our faith is increased. God showed up and took... It's like the loaves and the fishes. These were slaves. God showed up and did a mighty thing, not for Him, not to prove what He could do, 
but to prove to the people how much He loved them and what He could do in and through them, which is far more than they could ever do on their own. Left to their own, given all these instructions, the best they could do is go find a few uh, brush, brush piles, some old weak-looking trees they had in the Sinai Desert, and plenty of rocks. That's about the best they could do, and yet God provided everything they need over in abundance. Not only did God show up there, and then it says at the end, when they, when they got all done it, a year after leaving Egypt, what happened? The glory of God came down. The presence of God came down. To this point, they had seen the cloud and the fire and the lightning and the thunder and the earthquakes on the top of Mount Sinai, which they were told to not even go up to it, not even touch it, lest they what? Die. Moses could go. Moses could go meet with God. He was the only one. Now that very cloud, which brought all that thunder and fire and torment, the holiness of God comes down right into the center of the tabernacle, right into the center of the people and indwells. God wants to come down into your life and into my life and indwell you. And that's the difference. If you want to talk about truth and a lie, that's the difference between the truth of God's word and every other religion. Every other religion is working our way up to God, step by step, working up to God, building a tower of Babel based on our works and deeds. Christianity is built upon God coming down and indwelling us and taking us over. And then ultimately, ultimately that's what eternity is. Ultimately, eternity is not just our resort in the sky. Eternity is where we are in complete, full relationship with God and in His glory forever and ever. There is no more pain. There is no more death. Because these things have passed away. God's done it, redeemed it, and restored it. I want to challenge you as we close. They, they tell me that tonight there is a game. And even more serious than like uh, political speech from the pulpit and endorsing a candidate... If you say the Super Bowl instead of the big game, you're allowed to say the big game, but if you say the Super Bowl, you've violated copyrights. The NFL could come in and shut you down. They're more powerful than the IRS. I'm just serious. You're shaking your head. I'm serious. There's a game tonight. People are paying $5,000 a ticket. To go to this game. <laughs> now I'm telling you, it's going to be a show. I mean, there's going to be lights. There's going to be confetti. There's going to be a team that's going to be victorious that was robbed just a few years ago. 
I'm just saying. It's going to be a spectacle. It's considered the number one event of the year. Millions and millions of dollars are going to be spent. It's going to be watched all around the globe by people who don't even speak English, don't even really know what football is, but they're going to watch it. And tomorrow, there's going to be trash all over the streets. It's going to be empty. There's going to be a winner. There's going to be a loser. Many people that go home dejected. It's going to be over. And that's the best that the world can offer you. A fleeting moment. Just an instant of fame and success and spectacle. And when it's all said and done, I mean, is it worth it? And yet God, and His power, which is limitless, and God, who is not in a moment, but He's eternal, and yet God, who will not share the stage with anyone or anything else and desires our complete and undevoted love and devotion. And yet God wants to come inside of you and change you and fill you. And he offers you something that is much more permanent and eternal than a fleeting moment and a fleeting game. Fleeting stage. He offers you life, eternal life in Him. My challenge this morning, would you trade it all that the world would offer to receive Him? Is there something in your life that's holding you back? Saying, God, I, I love you, I, think, I, think, I know you're real. I haven't surrendered everything to you. What's holding you back from turning everything over to him? Maybe you're a Christian here and you're just saying, I don't know what God's presence feels like because I haven't felt it since I got saved. He's ready. He's ready to come back into you. He's ready to fill you. He's ready to take back over as you draw near to him it says he will draw near to you if we turn from our sin and turn to him and open our hearts to him and that's my challenge this morning let's pray together dear lord we we come before you we surrender ourselves to you today lord you have been speaking to us before we got into this room you were speaking to us and lord you spoke to us through time of worship and singing in the choir and Brother Jim's testimony and through our Sunday school and through, through your word this morning, you've spoken. Lord, now we respond to you. We take what we've heard and Lord, now you're calling us to action. We cannot be the same after we have heard from you. And Lord, I pray that we would surrender our heart in loving obedience to you however you are calling us to respond to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. I invite you to stand. Pastor Mark's going to lead us into a hymn of invitation. This altar's open. Now's the time not just to sing a few words on a screen or sing back to a screen as if we sing to a screen.